Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 17. We will be reading verses 16 through 23 together. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are all waiting right now. We're waiting to see when we can get back in the office. We're waiting to see friends, family. We're waiting to see if we can take that trip to the beach this summer. Or more seriously, We're waiting to see if we can pay the rent, the mortgage, to pay our employees. Or even more seriously, we're waiting for a loved one to recover or a loved one to be healed. We're all waiting for something right now. My new office is in my garage. And just the other day, my daughter Lila walked into the garage, grabbed a hammer and walked out. I decided to follow her to see what she was going to do with this hammer. She walked into the backyard and there was a log that she had pulled from the woods into our backyard and she just started pounding on that log with the hammer. First, I was proud of her for inventing a new game. Second, I thought she's probably expressing what a lot of us are feeling right now in the midst of our waiting. No matter how bored, frustrated, angry, or exhausted you feel right now, I want to make sure we all know God never wastes our waiting. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, we read this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, we continue through the New Testament's one book of history, the book of Acts, And we find the Apostle Paul waiting for his friends, Timothy and Silas, in Athens. Here's how he got there. He was preaching in a city called Thessalonica. Here's a picture of Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, there was a a great uprising, and, and people wanted to push him out of the town. They did not like what he was saying about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. So they moved him out of that town, and he fled to the town right next door, a little town called Berea. 
And he preached there in Berea and had much more success. And people were putting their faith in Jesus as Lord of all. And the people in Thessalonica heard about it. So they came to Berea and made a big stink in the streets. Riots were taking place all around. And so Paul's friends snuck him out of the town by night. They stuck him on a boat. They sent him all the way down to Athens. And as Paul got out of the boat, he looks to the men who ferried him to Athens and he says his final words, make sure you send Timothy and Silas to me. With that, he gets off the boat and he's in Athens just waiting. It's a kind of exile for Paul. It's a time when he can't go anywhere. A time of real uncertainty, boredom, and frustration, maybe even a little exhaustion for the apostle. And yet, what follows is one of the greatest tellings of the good news about Jesus Christ in the entire Bible. Because God never wastes our waiting. So let me tell you what Paul saw, what Paul felt, what Paul did and what Paul said while he was waiting. First, what Paul saw and what Paul felt. It's in verse 16 again. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Paul saw idols, statues, artwork, pottery, temples representing the gods that people had come to rely on for their safety, security, health, love, whatever they looked for, ultimate meaning in their life, they looked to these idols and they could find them all around the city. Even the name of the city, Athens, is named for one of the goddesses in the Greek pantheon. Her name is Athena. And in the most prominent place in the entire city, a hill called the Acropolis, they built a massive temple to the goddess Athena. And they filled it with idols to her. Paul saw idols. And what Paul felt was distress. It says that his spirit was provoked within him. Paul has a stirring that he can't shake off. He can't say, well, this really is too bad now, isn't it? And just go back to his quarters. No, something moves him. Or maybe better said, someone moves him. Because God never wastes our waiting. So let's look at what Paul did. It's in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. What Paul does is he reasons with people. And this word reasoned is an interesting word that the writer of Acts, Luke, uses. It's time, everyone, for, for Dora the Explorer learning foreign language words together. My kids have been laughing at me because they say I pronounce it wrong, Dora the Explorer. I think it rhymes. They think it's Dora the Explorer. But she's always helping everyone who watches her show learn words in another language. So here's one of the words we want to learn. The word for reason is dialogemi. 
Dialogemi. Let's say it together, everyone. Dialogemi. Is there an English word that looks familiar there? In that Greek word, dialogemi? Yeah, the word dialogue. As Paul reasons with people in the marketplace, this was no monologue. It was a dialogue. Paul had conversations. See, what Paul does is he doesn't fight with the culture around him. He lives faithfully within the culture around him. And he faithfully engages the culture around him. Because God never wastes our waiting. So what did Paul say? Verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others say he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Now this charge of preaching foreign divinities is quite serious 400 years before the Apostle Paul preached in the marketplace in Athens, there was another famous man named Socrates who was accused of the exact same thing, preaching foreign divinities. He was convicted and sentenced to death. This accusation of preaching foreign divinities is quite serious. And they round Paul up and they haul him off to this place called the Areopagus. It was a council. It was a group of people that debated ideas. But they also heard cases like a jury would in a court. And they decided people's fate. So imagine the tension in the room as we get down to verse 22 of our story where we read Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus with maybe his life on the line. What does he say? Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For as I walked around and examined your objects of worship, I even found one to an unknown God. Now what you worship is unknown. I will now proclaim to you. Imagine Paul's heart just pounding in his chest at this moment. See, not only defends himself, but as he proclaims the truth, proclaims the truth of the gospel to these educated men in Athens. And here's a summary of what he says. He says, God is more powerful than you ever dared imagine. And God is more personal than you ever dared hope. God is more powerful, Paul says in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. And I imagine as Paul is in the midst of the Areopagus, he says that God does not live in temples made by human hands. He might have looked over his shoulder and pointed over at the Parthenon, over on the Acropolis. See, right there, even, even a temple that magnificent, that gorgeous, that marvel of an architectural wonder God is too powerful to live in a house that small and that puny. He goes on to say that not only is God more, more powerful than you ever dared imagine, he's more personal than you ever dared hope. And he made one 
And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined and allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. And here's why. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Imagine their minds being stretched The Epicureans and Stoics were famous for believing that the gods existed somewhere way out there. And Paul is saying that God created you and God created me and God created Paul. And he's saying he created us that we might seek him and reach out and that we might actually find him because he's not far from each one of us. He delivers this message with two masterful quotes from their own poets. This is how he closes his argument, how he makes the final pitch, how he seals the deal with his life on the line at the Areopagus. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And he goes on to say that if we are God's offspring, then it is not we who can make God in our own image, but God who has made us in his image. And now is the time to turn that relationship the right way around. It's an absolutely stunning speech, all stemming from Paul just waiting around Athens because God never wastes our waiting. Which makes me wonder, what might God be doing in the midst of our waiting right now? I think God is doing the same thing he was doing in the midst of Paul's waiting. He's confronting idols. And so I have two questions. What's an idol? And what's your idol? When I think what's an idol, I think back to going to my sister's graduation from architecture school in New York City. I introduced you to my sister last week and told you she was an architect in New York, and she even went to school in New York City. And I remember thinking, I can't wait to see what a college campus in the middle of New York City looks like. How do they do that? And I walked up to the gates of Columbia University, and it looked just like a normal city block. And then you walk through the gates, and all of a sudden it opens to this whole world, this huge stretch of green grass right in the middle of New York City with massive and beautiful buildings all around this quad. But there's one building that stands out among them all. It's the library. It's called the Butler Library. And I remember looking and staring at the Butler Library And the first thing I noticed was the names all across the top of the library. The names read this, Homer, Herodotus, Sophocles, Plato, Aristotle, Demosthenes, Cicero, Virgil. I remember standing there and I had a thought in my mind. My thought was this. What if my name was on a building like that? Now, I realize this is not likely. This is a highly improbable scenario, but this is what I thought. 
that maybe thousands of years from now, if I lived my life the right way, if I did the right things, if I studied hard enough, if I influenced the right people, that maybe in thousands of years, there might be a building like the Butler Library. My name could be carved in stone on that library. I imagined how I might feel if that was so, and I thought I'd probably have made a lot of money to be secure. I'd probably have been a pretty good friend to some important people. And I remember thinking, yes, if my name could get in stone letters on a building like the Butler Library, then I would be okay. Here's what Tim Keller says an idol is. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. So what's your idol? Remember, Paul's talking to Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and this is going to take uh, years of philosophy and distill it down into two words, but I hope I can do it okay because one of my philosophy professors from college sometimes plays in the orchestra at the chapel. So, Tim, I hope this is okay. Epicureans, they looked for their idols out there. Stoics looked for their idols in here. Epicureans thought the gods were so far off, they didn't have anything to do with the world, and so I might as well just have as much pleasure as I can for as long as I can have it on the world, and so I'm looking for all of my meaning somewhere out there. The Stoics believed that God had left a a piece of the divine inside them somewhere, and, and through cultivating virtue, if they just lived a good enough life, that they would get in touch with it somewhere in here. Where are you looking for your idols? Somewhere out there? Are you looking somewhere in here? We all have idols. What's your idol? In our waiting, God is revealing. Our idols for security are not as powerful as we thought. That our careers are one germ away from being put on hold that the personal relationships we work so hard to maintain at school are one closure away from disappearing. The Apostle Paul, who's speaking here in Athens, wrote later in his letter to the Ephesians these words about idols. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Enslaved to idols. So Paul to the Athenians says, turn. Turn from your powerless and impersonal idols and turn toward the powerful and deeply personal God who has been revealed in Jesus Christ. As I walked across the quad at Columbia University, eventually made it to my sister's graduation, which happened to be taking place in the chapel The chapel at Columbia is called St. Paul's Chapel. It's a beautiful Byzantine and Italian Renaissance kind of mixed together uh, type of architecture. It's just stunning when you walk inside. And as I sat there inside the chapel, I noticed there was a Latin inscription around the rim, around the dome that stood over the altar. And all of these graduates were sitting there. And I just kept trying to 
figure out what did it say around that dome. I never took Latin, but I took Spanish and tried to line up some of the words, and eventually I figured out that it was a quote from Acts chapter 17. It recorded Paul's words to the Athenians there at the Areopagus. In him we live and move and have our meaning and have our being. It was quite the contrast of events because as the graduates were celebrated, lauded for their intellect and creativity, and maybe the graduates were even thinking about how to get their names on some buildings somewhere someday. They were surrounded by the truth that the unknown God who was proclaimed by the Apostle Paul was powerful and personal. And it is only in him that we live and move and have our being. And so God never wastes our waiting. He's surrounding us right now. He says, you are my offspring. I created you. I've come for you. And in our waiting, God confronts our idols that we might in faith turn toward him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. So let us turn to him now in these moments. For God never wastes our waiting.